Hello, traders, analysts, and other followers of the energy industry. My name is Corey Stewart, and I'm a senior analyst with Refinitiv, your go-to partner for energy analysis and data. As always, I'm here with Jim Mitchell, Refinitiv's head of America's Oil Analysts, and we're going to take you through what's happening in energy in the Western Hemisphere. Today, we'll be talking about energy reserves in the Americas. So, Jim, why don't you kick us off with Canada? So, before I jump into the reserves, a couple points. Uh, West White Rose expansion, which was halted in March and then restarted, is now officially under review. So says Husky CEO Rob Peabody. He goes on to say, and I quote, Unfortunately, the delay caused by the COVID-19 and continued market uncertainty leaves us no choice but to undertake a full review of the project and, by extension, our future operations in Atlantic Canada, unquote. Our future operations in Atlantic Canada? They are the operator and 72% partner in current White Rose production. This is not a pleasant look into the more mature oil production in Atlantic Canada. Moving on. The CEO of the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion, Ian Anderson, is saying that despite COVID-19, global oil slump, rising costs, and even protesters in trees, the expansion is 15% complete and will be 30% complete by the end of the year. The protests leave one to wonder, why aren't they cheering? If I was a Canadian taxpayer, I would be. The Canadian government bought an asset that will last 50 or 60 years and when completed will earn more than a billion dollars every year. This is a financial coup. Perhaps the First Nation tribes should buy the pipe. If they have any questions as to how beneficial it is for the tribe to own energy assets, call the Navajo Nation Oil and Gas Company. Ask them what the tribe's unemployment rate is or about their financial condition. That call will be eye-opening. So now on to reserves. Canada is third in the world with proven oil reserves at 171 billion barrels of proven recoverable reserves, 166.3 billion in oil sands, and 4.8 billion in conventional offshore and tight oil. And there's more. We'll get to that. Let me put this in perspective using pre-COVID numbers. If Canada was the only country in the world producing oil, so roughly 100 million barrels a day, they could support the entire world's oil needs for five years. So just about every province has oil. Yukon, 645 million barrels. Northwest Territory, 1.3 billion barrels. Nunavut, 18.3 billion technically recoverable barrels, which means it's there and we can get to it using current technology, but you're going to really have to want it if you want barrels out of Nunavut. Think the North Sea is cold, and it is. Nunavut is a 1,000 miles further north. British Columbia has about 30 million barrels. Alberta, 1 billion conventional, and one point, or 166 billion oil sands. And here is the there's more part. If miners cared to even try, technically recoverable oil shale barrels in Alberta, 423 billion barrels. 
That's nine times bigger than the Mammoth Permian Basin. Saskatchewan, 1.3 billion. Manitoba, about 740 million. Ontario and Quebec don't produce any oil, but boy, if they if they did, here's another. There's more. There are three layers of shale in Ontario that resemble the Utica Marcellus shale. The Macasty shale around Anacostia Island contains the mother rock that signals there's oil below. The National Assembly, what Quebec calls the provincial legislative body, signed Bill 106 in 2016 that put an end to the drilling around Anacostia Island. New Brunswick is the only province that doesn't have reserves. Nova Scotia has negligible production, and what they have is mostly condensate still coming from the Point Tupper plant that serviced the Sable Offshore uh, project that was shut down in 2018. One thing to note about Prince Edward Island, it was Canada's first offshore well and was drilled in Hillsborough Bay in 1943. Sadly, that is the highlight. Newfoundland and Labrador, 2.2 billion barrels of discovered reserves. And here's another there's more. Science says there's about 6 billion barrels north along the Labrador coast. So if I add up the barrels that Canada hasn't even bothered to count yet, just that portion would make Canada the biggest oil country in the world, 150% bigger than Venezuela's 300 billion barrels. And this doesn't even include what Canada knows they have. Wow. Okay, so Jim, we only have a few minutes for this podcast, but uh, why don't you tell us about the U.S.? <laughs> I'll try to keep the U.S. short. The topic of oil reserves in the U.S. could be a three-day seminar complete with breakout rooms and chicken almond ding for lunch. I know, I miss them too. The numbers for the United States vary. The EIA says we started 2020 with 47 billion barrels in recoverable reserves. Then there is a most likely category that is 109 billion barrels of recoverable oil reserves. Then a category called most likely and yet undiscovered is 264 billion barrels. So the geology is saying that there is 264 minus 47, 217 billion barrels yet to be discovered in the U.S., we're all familiar with the big production areas in the U.S., so I don't want to spend any time on these. I do have a couple of trick questions for our listeners. Oh, should have kept that in-house. Does the world have more oil shale or oil-bearing shale? It turns out it's not even close. The estimates for oil shale in the world is 6 trillion barrels. So what's the difference? Oil shale is mined. Giant diggers, three-story dump trucks, and lots of heat to turn oil shale into shale oil, also known as synthetic crude. Oil-bearing shale is Bakken or Eagleford. So where are these six trillion barrels? Turns out the U.S. has 80% of the world reserves. So here comes true question number two. Which shale formation has the most oil. Uh -uh, don't say it. My Texas heart can't take it. The answer is the Green River Formation, and principally three basins, 
One, the Greater Green River Basin, which sometimes can be broken up into three smaller basins. Two, the Passance Basin. And three, the Uinta Basin all form the Green River Formation and contain an estimated 4 trillion barrels of oil. So that's great, Slim. Why don't we just go scoop them up and live in hydrocarbon abundance for the rest of our days? Well, most of these reserves are on federal land. The perception of surface mining tends to turn people off. The reality is this is not the 1920s. I can give you hundreds of examples of transformational reclamation projects since the passage of the Surface Mining Control and Reclamation Act of 1977. In fact, there's a department within the Department of the Interior that has $2.3 billion in its coffers just waiting for more projects to fund. Wow. So, well, tell us about our friends down south. So prior to 2013, uh, opening of the Mexican oil market, it was a bit challenging to get accurate reserve numbers. In 2019, the commissioner of the National Hydrocarbons Commission, the CNH, Alma America Porres, said, and I quote, only five oil companies certified reserves. In 2020, that number has grown to dozens, end quote. So what is the number? On January 1st, 2020, the total proven reserves for Mexico stood at 8.062 billion barrels of oil equivalent. As many of you know, the bulk of these barrels are coming from the Bay of Campeche area, Canarel Field being the workhorse for decades. A few new fields and new grades will change the face of Mexican oil production. The Ogoria field is already producing a 37 API grade, but relatively small production at 13,000 barrels a day. Mitzen field just north of Tabasco is already producing and expects to get up to 100,000 barrels in 2021. The Kweski field, again near Tabasco, has 500 million barrels of reserves. And of course, the Zama discovery will change the fortune of Mexican oil production. 28 to 30 API grade and the operator Talus Energy estimates between 1.4 and 2 billion barrels of reserves. The field that no one seems to be talking about is the Perdido Basin offshore, but straddling the Mexico-Texas border. Shell's Perdido Spar, which has been producing on the U.S. side for 10 years. This basin is estimated to contain 1.5 billion barrels of oil equivalent. So here's a country I don't get to talk about at all as it relates to oil production. Cuba. Cupit, Cuba Petroleum, is the national oil company of Cuba. They are in charge of oil extraction, refineries, pipelines. Cupit has been a part of some of the attempts at oil production by drilling off the northwestern coast of the country near Havana. Mostly they've come up with dry holes. There are 23 oil fields identified on the island, but the mother load lays north of Cuba in the Florida Straits, the area between Cuba and the Florida Keys. The estimates are between 1.5 billion barrels of recoverable oil and 9 billion barrels, generally agreed upon numbers, 4.6 billion barrels. Yet another piece of amazement I discovered, the Peytine Basin in Guatemala, Belize, and the Yucatan Peninsula in Mexico 
has the right geology, as stated by the U.S. Geological Survey, and has 53 billion barrels of identified reserves and an estimated 78 billion additional undiscovered barrels of reserves. That's a lot of oil that no one has even bothered to look for. Turns out, offshore Honduras and Nicaragua also have conducive geology for long and ribbon-like reservoirs waiting to be discovered. So, Corey, why don't you tell us about South America? Okay. Let's first think back to a time prior to the coronavirus. I'm using the EIA data here, which I've acknowledged previously is not the world standard for international data, but so be it. An example of that is Guyana with no crude reserves registering for 2019, but some light production starting there at the end of the year. We'll work through it. So from a global standpoint, there have been more in the way of discoveries since 2010, and there have been downward adjustments to crude and lease condensate reserves. And where there have been downward revisions, they've been small, i.e. less than 0.5% of the total. One such revision was in 2019, with global reserves falling by 0.21% year over year. Now contrast that with production. For the last decade, aside from production contraction last year, each year has seen production growth. Some years more substantial than others, but a relatively steady growth to meet world demand. If we take the reserve to production ratio, or RPR, for the world, that is last year the world had just over 55 years of reserves left. That's consistent with the decade's average of 54.8 years. And again, COVID ups at the apple cart here, so global RPR is likely longer. South America's share of world oil, oil crude production in 2019 was just under 7%. You take out the Venezuelan piece and it falls to under 6%. But given that Brazil and Guyana have increased production this year, as Venezuelan production has fallen, then South America's share of overall production stays relatively the same. Where it gets interesting, however, is with the reserves. South America holds nearly one-fifth of the world's crude oil. Yes, 20% of the world's crude oil reserves lies in South America. And if you add in Mexico's, Canada's, and the United States reserves, notwithstanding some of the things that Jim talked about earlier, so the Western Hemisphere, then you would account for about one-third of the world's crude oil reserves. Okay, but there's a catch with South America, right? <laughs> yes. So, you know, just as in 2019, when the U.S. produced over 12 million barrels per day with reserves of only 47 billion barrels, and Canada produced under 4.5 million barrels per day with the EIA number of nearly 170 billion barrels reserves, 10% of the world reserves, there is a catch. The bulk of people that listen to our podcast have a direct experience in the energy industry. And some may already know what I'm going to say, but for those of you, those of you who don't, if you take South America's 20% share of the world's reserves and remove Venezuela – South America's share is only 1.6% of the world. Venezuela boasts the highest level of proved reserves in the world. Yeah. So it makes sense why there's so much international fuss over the country. I mean, so despite sitting in the backyard of the U.S. where you want to keep an eye on things, Venezuela's resource surpasses even our own, and U.S. refiners are set up to run the type of heavy sour stuff that comes out of Venezuela. In fact, as we've seen medium and heavy sours come off the market with covid geopolitical strife and our own sanctions on Venezuela, 
The U.S. has looked elsewhere, most notably, notably to Russian fuel oil, to meet its needs. U.S. refiners appreciate flexibility, and though domestic production has been a welcome addition to the U.S. crude slate, volumes are considerably lighter and yield naphthas that ultimately must find their way into the export markets. Now, the crystal ball is cloudy on Venezuela's future. So even when there is a regime change, it's questionable how and how long it will take this resource to be developed. Countries that have maintained an allowed trading relationship with Venezuela makes sense. U.S. involvement in the country makes sense. And China's involvement makes sense due to its crude demand and desire to exact influence around the world. But there are, once again, Iranian tankers laden with gasoline heading towards Venezuela. Why? To stick the thumb at the U.S. or, as some have opined, to provide a much-needed outlet for Iranian products in exchange for a currency it can use. Gold. It's all very interesting. Mm. What else do you have for South America? Well, I don't want to get too bogged down with COVID this week. So, outside of coronavirus-related demand slumps, I had a former boss who would always comment how, quote, there's plenty of oil, it's just all the issues above the ground that keep it from being produced, end quote. And that's certainly the case for South America. Brazilian crude reserve figures for 2019 were 12.84 billion barrels. For 2020, that's up over 3% to 13.24 billion barrels. Now, I've covered the Brazil story in depth here before. This oil will continue to be produced. There's talent to produce it, support to produce it, and customers to take it. Ecuador has a steady reserve base at over 8 billion barrels, and of course left OPEC this year. Investment in Ecuador is challenging at best, so since about 2004, production has generally stayed the same, between 500 and 550,000 barrels a day. Early this year, pipeline ruptures due to landslides forced production offline to the tune of about 300,000 barrels a day, but production has recently returned to more normal levels. Nearly 25% of public sector revenues come from oil exports. The country owes China, and they're a fairly significant supplier to the U.S. West Coast, so expect Ecuador's reserves to continue to be developed. Now, we've covered Guyana pretty extensively here. But after having essentially no proven reserves, reserves there now ringing at over 8 billion barrels. Colombia has nearly 2 billion barrels and frequent pipeline bombings. And Peru has about 1 billion barrels and significant above-ground societal issues that affect the production and export of crude. But, you know, Argentina is the interesting play here to me. Argentina's reserve base is about 2.4 billion barrels. That's an increase from last year to the tune of about 400 million barrels, and though COVID dampened plans to develop and produce vaca muerte, emerging from the coronavirus, I think we actually see the country make real strides towards its goals of essentially uh, tapping into its resource and doubling production. The issues here are the wavering economy, and for instance, uh, tighter monetary controls instituted in the current currency markets. I mean, it's a story that'll continue and one that we'll continue to monitor. So Jim, final thoughts? So the industry uses a bunch of words and phrases like recoverable, technically recoverable, discovered, and estimated because until it's out of the ground, nobody can really put their finger on how much oil is available or will be available for future use. Even what is proven to be available is in question. OPEC believes the number is a bit under 1.2 trillion barrels 
BP's statistical review brings in some of these estimated barrels and puts the number closer to 1.8 trillion barrels. Refinitive Research and some other third-party analysts put this number closer to 2 trillion barrels. Given pre-COVID production, that's 33 years of world oil production using OPEC's numbers, 48 years using BP's numbers, and 55 years of oil production using Refinitive Research numbers. So next week, Corey and I will look at innovation and the companies that are driving change in each geography. All right. Sounds like fun. Thanks, Jim. Have a great week.